Please pray with me. Father, we ask as we open your word that you would show us what you have for us today. Take the weakness of your servant and make it your strength to bring about what you want in our lives. Might Jesus Christ be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right. I have a question for you. How many of you have ever taken a survey? Your hand up. Ever taken a survey? How many of you have never taken a survey? How many of you refuse to take surveys? Aha! You just did. I knew I'd, I knew I'd get them, even though they didn't want to raise their hand. Surveys. We love surveys. No, we don't. You know, we, we buy something and they want to survey on how things went. But you know what? Surveys aren't anything new, to be real truthful with you. The passage that we read this morning from the gospel is actually a survey, isn't it? And oftentimes we hear about these things from one political so uh, cycle to another political society cycle we have surveys. But surveys, as I said, are nothing new. In this particular gospel, we have a survey that's being taken, and Jesus is the one who is taking that survey. He's talking to his disciples. And the first question that he has on his survey is, who do men say that I am? So that was the question that was laid out there, and as we look at the passage before us, if you have your Bible, I'd love to have you turn there and uh, and see it or take it, uh, take a look at it from your, your bulletin. And it says, now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him, and he asked them a question. Who do the crowds say that I am? Who do the men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has written. So that's the answer they gave to him. And all of these people were great people. I wouldn't mind having my name listed alongside of these people, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the great prophets. That would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Well, that's what he says. Interestingly enough, in a recent survey in 2020, LifeWay Research asked a question, and I just want to give you two of the results. 55% of the people who took this survey strongly agree or somewhat agree that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Second one, 51 strongly agree or somewhat agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Okay, that's where we are. That's where we're standing. And that was in 2020. I would imagine things are even worse uh, in our own day and age. A few years ago, a video survey was done in New York City. Let me just give you a couple of the answers that were given to the surveyor. The surveyor asked the question, who do you think Jesus is? One guy says, a white guy with a beard. Another one says, he's not the blonde-haired dude that they show in all those pictures. The third, another one said, just a story made up by someone, probably a real person, but, like the, uh, but not like the story. Another one said, well, he's a friend of mine from Puerto Rico. And another said, there is something special about Jesus just like there is something special about me and you. 
You know, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, actually, Mere Christianity was done as a, a series of radio broadcasts during World War II. And then the book was written, and you and I have the opportunity to read it. And C.S. Lewis sums up what many in the world think about Jesus when he relates in mere Christianity that he wants them to keep from saying this. He says, say what you want, but don't say this. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis says, don't do that. Don't do that. Later on, we'll talk a little bit about what he had to say. Now, after he had given that first question in the survey, he asked a second question, doesn't he? They answered, and then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Now, Luke is not usually, if we're going to look at this particular thing in the life, th this particular time in the life of Christ, this is probably not the synoptic gospel that we look to. This story is told not only in Luke, but it's also told in Mark and Matthew. Matthew is probably the one that we know best of all. And in that gospel, in gospel of Matthew, Matthew, uh, 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 Peter basically says that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter gave this answer on behalf of all of the disciples. And it was great. Jesus told Peter that indeed he was not the one who had answered this, but that God had given him the answer to this question. You didn't know this, but God gave this to you. It was something that God had placed in your spirit so that you would know that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So as we look at these passages and begin, we need to recognize that as Jesus did this survey to teach us, we need to see that Jesus is the Messiah, and because of that, we worship him and serve him. We worship him and serve him. Let's see if we can unpack this packet, uh, passage just a little bit. So the first thing that we've already noted is that Peter says, you're the Messiah. Now, uh, when I was teaching uh, the students up at, uh, up at the school, uh, one of the things that I wanted them to know was the Christos, the Christ of the New Testament, was equivalent to the Messiah of the Old Testament. In other words, every time we say Christ, Christos, the Greek word that's translated here, and, we, we, and we, we talk about it in our creeds, we talk about it in our prayers, we talk about Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ. We are saying that Jesus Messiah, we're talking about Jesus Messiah. Well, the question that we need to ask is, what do we mean by Messiah? Well, Messiah in the Old Testament and Messiah in the New Testament was one who was anointed or had the favor of God or someone put upon them. So in the Old Testament, when we talk about being Messiahed, we talk about them being anointed with the idea that God is coming upon them to do a special work. There were basically three offices in the Old Testament that regularly were Messiah anointed, and they are prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. Now, so what we need to see is that as he says, as Peter says, you are the Messiah, 
the thought pattern of the people that would have been around him would have been that Jesus is the one who is anointed just like those in the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king. So those things are in his, 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 uh, his words, as, as, as he says, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. So when, when he says, you, Jesus, you're the Christ, he's saying you're the Messiah. Okay. So when you read that in that text, remember, he's saying you're the one who has been anointed by God to do a work. And as such, they would have thought about the prophet, the priest, and the king. Isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus considered to be prophet, priest, and king? That's kind of nice, isn't it? As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 12, we see that Jesus uh, says, talks about being greater than Jonah. Greater than Jonah. Jonah's a pretty well-known uh, uh, prophet. Probably the best of all prophets, and the first of all prophets in the Old Testament was none other than Moses. We go over to the book of Hebrews and we find that Jesus is greater than Moses. So he's a greater prophet than Moses. And when we talk about a prophet, we're talking about someone who is willing to speak the words of God to the people. Over in John chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So what is Jesus saying? He's giving the words of God, the message that God has to give to the people. He's the prophet there. Okay? The second thing is that he is priest. And a priest is one who not only represents God before man, but he also represents man before God. Over in Hebrews chapter 3, we learn that Jesus is the great high priest. We know that he is the one who is greater than even Melchizedek who, who, uh, uh, and, and Aaron. He is the one who brings the sacrifice. And in the New Testament, he is the sacrifice. He's the one who will make the sacrifice to bring us. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a, in a few minutes. Also, he is king. On three occasions, he is called king of kings and lord of lords in the New Testament. And it's interesting that we find, uh, that we find too, over in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, after Jesus has said, I've come, not, not seeking to be, I, I don't grasp at being God, and we'll talk a little bit about that too. I don't grasp at being God, but I've become in, in the form of a servant, even a servant who would die on the cross. And we get that finished, and he's raised from the dead. And then in verse 11 of, chapter, uh, of Philippians chapter 2, we find that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's the king, the one to whom we all, all obedient. So he's Messiah. Uh, someone came up to me after the uh, service this morning and said, you know, I've been Messiah. I said, yes. He said, well, he said, when I was baptized, I was Messiah. I was anointed with the oil. And that's true, a lot of us. I have my oils with me. Those of you who have been in the hospital, 
I have anointed you with oil. That was, by the way, that's a different type of anointing. Okay? But when uh, we come before ordination or whatever, there's the aspect of being accepted by God as one of his or having our, the spirit put his hands upon, uh, come upon us. Well, the question that we have to ask then is what makes Jesus different? Well, we also find that in this passage, don't we? Because here's what he says. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected. Now, up above, Peter has said, you are the Christ of God. Over in Matthew, Peter's, uh, the, 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 the translation there says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Both of those would have resonated with the people as being said, Jesus, you are God. You are God. C.S. Lewis reminds us in that mere Christianity where I had talked with you about don't say this. He says to us, he says, don't say that. That is, that is ridiculous. Because what happens is that if we look at Jesus and look at the New Testament, and say that we've got a problem because Jesus, Jesus with that idea is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. If he is, if, if he is, if he is who he is, but doesn't know that he really isn't, he's a lunatic. I have to tell you, when I was doing my CPE training down at Tampa General Hospital, I met Jesus more often than you can believe on their psych ward. They were not Jesus. They thought they were Jesus, but they were not Jesus. Jesus is different. Number two, if Jesus was who he said that he was, but knew that he wasn't, then he's a liar. He's a liar. If he says, I am God, and is not God, and knows it, he is a liar. However, if he says, I am Lord, I am God, and he is God, then he needs to be the Lord of our lives. He is the Son of God. Does he ever, I, I, I always love this, Jesus never claimed that he was God. I'm going, have you read any of the New Testament at all? Have you read any of it at all? For example, over in John chapter 10, my father who has given to me, to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. I and my father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. He then asks a question. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for being doing good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. He said it every time when he used the word, I'm the door, I'm the way, 
I'm the truth. I'm the light. I'm the light. It set off bells. No, it set off alarms in the minds of the, of, of the Jewish leaders because they knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I am. When Moses was told to go and talk to Pharaoh, Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them that I am. I am. Yahweh. Even today, the Jewish people will not use the name Yahweh because it's so beautiful in separation that it belongs to God. And yet Jesus did it over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. So while he is the Messiah, having been anointed by God, and by the way, when do you think that happened? Well, it happened when he was baptized, you remember? He comes up out of the water, and what, what does uh, God say? This is my son. It's God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the people knew and stood recognizing. One of the things that we cannot say is that Jesus never, ever claimed to be God. He most certainly did. He most certainly did. The second thing that we find in this passage is that over, if we were to look in the Matthew passage, it says, who do, the, uh, um, who do they say the Son of Man is? Who do they say the Son of Man is? And in the passage that we have before us today, the Son of Man must suffer. What is Jesus saying when he's the Son of Man? He's saying that he's human. That this is not some uh, apparition. This is not some, some spirit that just happened to come. This is human. The problem that they faced, however, was that the Son of Man, the Messiah that they looked at, was not the Messiah that they wanted. The Messiah that they wanted was a king who was going to get on a white horse and he was going to lead them, he was going to lead them to victory over the Romans and make the Israeli nation, or Israel once again, the great power that it was when David and Solomon were kings. But what does he say is going to happen to the Messiah? He didn't say, hey, get my white charger. Get my, get my, get, get my, get, get my sword, get my shield. We're ready to go. No, he did something else. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Ooh. And be killed. This isn't what they wanted to hear. And sometimes we see Jesus and it's not what we want to hear. We want something else. We want that Santa Claus that gives us everything that we ask for. We want everything to be peachy keen in our lives. When Jesus told his disciples the plan that the Father had for him, they were repulsed by the whole idea. You remember, we looked and we said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to him? 
You didn't do this on your own. God gave this to you. Now, Jesus has just said the Son of Man has to die, and on the third day he's going to be raised. If we go over to Matthew, what does, Matthew, what does Peter say at that particular point in time? Ain't happening, Lord. Not on my watch, it ain't. It's not going to happen. You will not die. And remember what, God, what Jesus said to Peter? Yeah, just a few minutes before, God had given him. Who gave him that answer? Satan. Satan. Satan gives him an answer. An answer that, that, that would have taken Jesus out of, his, out of his responsibility to glorify God and to do what God wanted him to do. He would disappoint those looking for the military leader because he had come to establish his kingdom through his death and his resurrection. It's interesting that the gospel was defined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I give you a first importance that Christ died according to the scriptures and that on the third day he was raised again according to the scriptures. Jesus came to fulfill the word that God had given to the people that the Messiah was going to come. They didn't understand. They, they thought that they had a triumph. Uh, as Father Don has, has told us, they didn't want to read Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. They liked the mighty servant. And sometimes we like to make Jesus the mighty servant that we want instead of the humble servant that he is. And then, true life comes when we're able to recognize that it's through this one. The Apostle Paul to the Romans says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can we confess in our, with our mouth that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is Lord. That's what we need to do. We need to see him as the Lord who has provided for us and believe with our heart all of that and then confess with our mouth that Jesus is the one to whom we owe all of our allegiance no matter what. Well, if that's the case, if Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and as the Messiah, he's not just the anointed one, but he's God incarnate, that is, he is totally God and totally man, a little bit later, you will say the Nicene Creed, and guess what you will say if you say, I believe this? You will say that he is God, and you will say that he is man, and you will say that he came for one purpose, by the Virgin Mary, to die to be raised so that we could have newness of life. Don't just say the creeds. Think the creeds. Think the creeds. Is that what you really believe? It's what we need to believe. It's what we need to believe. And if that's the case, then as the Messiah, then he can expect us, if we accept him as the Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king, 
If we accept him as son of God and son of man, then what can he expect of us? Well, he tells us. And he strictly charged and commanded them, don't say this, and he'd be killed. In verse 23 it says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The first thing that I want to say here is that we take a look at this. We take a look at this, and the aspect is that this is a daily thing. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. Christianity, being Christ-like, is not something that just happens on Sunday morning. It's something that happens on a day-by-day basis. What I learn, what I say that I believe on Sunday, should be what's happening in my life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because he is the Lord of our lives. If he's the Messiah of our lives. So the first thing he says, I need to deny myself. We live in a world that says, I'm the most important thing that there ever was. It's all about me. I need to deny myself, saying it's not all about me. My reason for being on this earth, according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is to glorify God and enjoy him forever glorify God. You and I are here for one purpose and one purpose only, to glorify God. My prayer as I begin to to do sermon preparation is God be glorified in the things that I say. If that doesn't happen, let's just shut it down. Because the sermon's not about me or how I deliver it or whatever. The sermon is about who God is and what he is and what he's done. That's what the scriptures were were given to us for. The scriptures were given so that we know how to glorify God and enjoy him as the one rules. So, I learn about me. I learn about my selfishness. I learn about what I want. And then I have to give it over to him and say, you're the one that's Lord in my life to look to guide. The second thing he says is take up your cross. One writer stated, if you wonder if you're ready to take up your cross, consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? The writer goes on and says, in some places of the world, these, are consequ- these consequences are reality. But notice the question, uh, how the question's phrased. Are you willing? Are you willing? And I think it's a great question for us to ask. Is Jesus really going to be Lord of our lives? Are we willing to take up the cross? It's kind of interesting over in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who although he was in the form of God, didn't, didn't fight about that, but he humbled himself and became man and became obedient to death, even death 
on the cross. So what is Jesus doing? He's willing to give all that you and I might have life. What does he ask us to do? He asks us to give all. Everything that we have, he asks us to give to him. It's his. First service, right before we do the communion, Father Don will say, I'll get, I'll, um, the gifts of God for the people. Um, what, what is it that we say? No, 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 no. All things come of thee, O Lord. All things come of thee, O Lord, and of thine own we have received. Everything that you and I have are gifts from God. Everything. Everything. Amen. The third thing he says is follow him. Follow him on a daily basis. He says to his disciples over in Matthew chapter 8, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go into all the world and, and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and leading them. But you know what the, the interesting thing there is? Go into the, all the world and make disciples. The command there is to make disciples, to make disciples disciples. Why? Because that ought to be what we're doing as we walk each and every day, showing people what Jesus is really like, so that they'll want to be what Jesus wants them to be, so that they will be willing to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that in their heart. In closing, in an interview with the Christian Post, Mark Clark, who is the founding pastor of Village Church in Vancouver, Canada, said, the onus is on Christian parents and teachers, Father's Day. Good challenge to those of us who are fathers. And moms, you can jump on this one too. Okay? The onus on us is on Christian parents and teachers to have a clear, full picture of Jesus as the next generation is going to reject Christianity based on how Christians live their lives and the hypocrisy and divisions they say in the church. He goes on to say the reason for the shift where people are moving away, according to Clark, is twofold. Part of it is not having a biblical worldview constructed through the biblical text. He said the Bible was very clear about the exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way. But a more subtle version for this shift, he said, is the philosophy of the uh, autonomous self that has slowly seeped into both Christians and secular cultures over the last few decades. We used to have a more collectivist attitude. Uh, now, we're all about self-actualization, he said. This is about your personal feelings. This is about your flourishing as an individual. Once we've made that pivot, then everything is re uh, re relativized, and it becomes my truth and your truth rather than absolute truth. As a culture, we've traded out the truth for we all just want to get along. He continued, this massive hermeneutic of the self has made it so that all truth <coughs> becomes relative, and I can believe what I want to believe. Don't project your values on me. 
my friends? What are we doing with Christ? How can we deny Christ, take up our cross and follow him? We can truly believe what the Nicene Creed says. We can truly believe that Jesus Christ is God and that Jesus Christ became man and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And you and I have a responsibility to place our faith and trust in him as our savior. That's where we need to be. That's what needs to happen in our lives. We can commit to learning and knowing what God has to say to us through the scriptures. Do we find not, you know, do you have enough time to do everything that you want to do? How often do we leave out spending time in God's word? On the way in this morning, someone said to me, you know, I want to learn more about Jesus Christ. And the best way to learn more about Jesus Christ is to know what God has to say about him in his word. Do we spend time in the scriptures finding out what Jesus really said? Or are we going to go and listen to what the world has to say about Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to God. One of the answers to the survey question was, uh, um, the, in a Barna survey was God will let just about anybody in as long as their faith is strong enough. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way. If we confess, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We are told to cast our anxiety on him because he loves us. This was a great week in VBS. The first two way, days set the, set the tone for the whole week. The first day it said we were reminded that God loves us. God loves us. The second day we were reminded that no matter where we go, guess who's there? God's there. Got my wristband. It says, watch for God. Do I look for God in the things that happen in my life? on a day-by-day -day basis? Do I see him there? Or do I think, you know, I've got to take care of this by myself. Folks, I don't have the power to do things by myself in so many ways. And it's only God who can work through those things. Then lastly, we can become true disciples of Jesus by asking ourselves the question, or we can say to ourselves, if is what I'm doing is what I'm doing, doing to the name, in, in, am I doing it in the name of Jesus Christ to the glory of God? Am I doing it? So when I decide, when I'm making decisions on what's happening in my life, do I say to myself, if I take this action, am I doing it in Jesus' name? I guarantee you, it'll make a difference in our lives. And then we do it to the glory of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Probably my favorite verse. Because I always carry it out with me. But it's a great goal for us, isn't it? If Jesus is our Messiah, our prophet, our priest, our king, 
And as our prophet priest and king, he is the son of God. He's a human who died for us on the cross. He expects us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him to his home.